This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and lucky for our listeners today, it's not just Dave and me. But anyway, hi Dave. Hello, hello, and uh, I'm sure the listeners are already celebrating that fact. <laughs> yeah, as a fact, we're being uh, joined by David Wheeler, who is a very important person within the Open SSF. It's a uh, foundation within the Linux Foundation umbrella. But uh, let's not us talk about this. Let's let uh, David talk about it, I guess. Indeed. Take it away. So welcome, David Wheeler, to the Roaring Elephant podcast. Glad to have you here. Thank you so very much. Hi, David. And uh, so you have quite a, uh, it's quite a significant title there, Director of Open Source Supply Chain Security at the Linux Foundation. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty, it's a pretty impressive title. A lot of people have commented that that is a pretty cool title, and, and I agree. But uh, I've been interested in open source and security and supply chains for decades. So it's kind of neat to have a title that actually identifies a number of the things that I've been very interested in and focused on for quite some time. Fantastic. So, yeah, please please introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, tell them a little about yourself and what uh, what brought you here. Okay, well, let's see. I guess the question is also which here, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. David A. Wheeler, um, I uh, work for the Linux Foundation that started about a year and a half ago. Um, uh, but, before, but even before that, for many, for decades, I've been uh, really, really interested, as I said, in open source software in general. How do you develop software? You know, how do you improve software development? How do you do better developing open source software? Um, I'm interested in developing secure software, security in general, but especially how do I develop secure software, software that actually resists attacks, not just um, uh, you know clean, how to clean up the mess later. Um, and supply chain issues, I, in my mind, I'm particularly interested in security aspects, including the supply chain. In other words, all those steps that get from developer's head out to fielding. Because uh, attackers are happy to attack whatever the weakest link is. And if the weakest link is, you know, uh, I'm going to break the software through subverting its build environment or making you download the wrong thing. Um, they'll do that. They'll do that. So, um, you know, we, we want to help. I want to help people uh, deploy secure software and fixing up the, and improving the supply chains is all part of that. Fantastic. So the the when you hear the word supply chain, my mind and I'm sure many others kind of by default goes to thinking sort of manufacturing and you've got you know suppliers and all that uh, all that side of things. But actually, um, from your description, you're actually talking about the supply chain of open source software. There, the sort of a huge variety of different libraries that may be included and different sort of steps that may be involved anywhere along the way from as you say the the uh, the developer having an idea about developing something to it actually being installed and, and running so i guess sort of the the open ssf is the the vehicle for this kind of change so you know why why the open ssf why does that that need to exist why isn't this already why isn't this already solved we've been developing software for a long time now <laughs> <laughs> well to answer your last question first because it's not easy 
Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if things were easy and you could do it in a few minutes, that would have been solved. Um, but in fact, uh, you know, the supply chain of software is quite complex. And I use the uh, phrase supply chain quite intentionally. Um, I realize some people don't think about software supply chains. They think of soft as supply chains as a hardware-only construct. But it's not. It's not. Um, you know, uh, the the uh, uh, there are basically studies that have found the majority of code within you know final delivered products is actually open source software components. You know, it, it's you know, the majority of software is in fact reused software from somewhere else, often open source software, though not exclusively open source software. Um, and since your software is mostly other people's software. That actually replies recursively. How did I get that component? Well, in fact, that component brings in other components. And so you you find, in fact, you've got tiers and tiers and tiers, just like, by the way, the hardware world. You know, car manufacturers don't make, manufacture every part. It doesn't make sense for them to. Um, they buy parts from suppliers who then buy subparts from other suppliers and so on. Um, in, in many ways, software is late to this game. Um, I do remember there was a time when people generally had to write every line of code for almost anything. You know, maybe they'd reuse an operating system or a database, but almost everything else they would rewrite themselves. Um, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. Um, you know, it's far more efficient in general to reuse components that others have worked hard to really uh, nail down. Um, and that's really caused an improvement in productivity in software. But there's a catch, right? Anything, there's trade-offs. The advantage of reusing software is that you can take advantage of all this wonderful software people solve problems that you can build on. The problem, the disadvantage, is that if there's a vulnerability in those components, those vulnerabilities may be exploitable within your larger system. And there's a simple solution for that, which is the same solution we tell end users. Hey, go update. Okay, we need to get the vulnerabilities fixed. And then those vulnerable components within larger systems need to be updated. So that problem goes away. And I say that's a simple solution. For some folks, it's not so simple. And really, we want to improve longer term well, why don't we get rid of vulnerabilities in the first place? Just not having them in the first place is much better than trying to fix things later. Yes, there will occasionally be vulnerabilities um, from almost any process, but you want to make those relatively rare. So uh, coming back to the original question, the open SSF, um, I actually, I work for the Linux Foundation um, trying to improve security and um, security supply chain. Um, for all of the Linux Foundation, and it's not just me alone, uh, but one of the organizations I particularly work with, the OpenSSF, the Open Source Security Foundation. Um, and um, the uh, Open Source Security Foundation specifically focuses in how to improve the security of open source software. How do you make it so that's less likely to have a vulnerability in the first place? If there is a vulnerability, how do you do vulnerability disclosure? How do you um, how do you help these identify the most critical projects and help them strengthen them especially? Uh, so they've got some work, sub-working groups uh, to work on certain different aspects. Um, they're not, by the way, all by themselves just going to instantaneously solve security for all open source software. Um, you know, there's literally millions of open source software projects. 
Uh, the goal of the OpenSSF is to help other projects and, you know, uh, either with focused help or more broad help, um, you know, improve the security that we all depend on. So, uh, I mean, so the, ask away. The, the, yeah, yeah. So the, this sounds like, you know, one of the, the key pieces is about um, having people understand or tracing the provenance of the the kind of all the all the variety of different components that come into any given you know software project um, now clearly this is some something that sort of has started here in in sort of the Linux Foundation probably more focused on open source but it sounds like most of the concepts apply to all software whether we're talking proprietary or uh, or open source. It's just somewhat more difficult to um, to to trace, you know, the, the the details of that in some areas. Well, it, it actually, for I mean, in many ways, open source software is actually much easier. Um, the uh, you know the the proprietary uh, vendors often are you know don't want uh, things to be known. Uh, about you know what, what what's inside their products and so on, whereas the open source software developers, uh, that's not a problem at all. Um, the real challenge with open source software is scale. I mentioned mm. earlier, on average, seventy percent of your application, be it proprietary or not, is actually open source software components. So if you only handle proprietary components, you are ignoring most reused software because, in fact, you're ignoring most of the software within the application. Um, and so what that means is that, um, you know, it's, it's certainly true the Linux Foundation is especially interested in things that affect open source software. But from the point of view of what impacts an end user, um, that's the majority of the software. So if you ignore the supply chain and the components of open source software, that are the majority of the components, you are ignoring for the most part, the majority of the issues. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, now, you asked earlier, you know, talked earlier about provenance and so on. Um, probably what you're moving towards is a discussion of something called a software bill of materials. Um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the LF actually has another project called SPDX that has been working on, that has developed a spec for uh, software building materials years ago, um, the license list um, mechanism from it in particular is just widely used all over the place. Um, and and yet for many, many years, the folks that, who've been developing the SBDX spec, specification have been working, working really hard and, you know, saying, hey, this is important, this is important. And most other organizations, yeah, whatever, we're not interested in that. And I think over the last few years, suddenly organizations realized, oh, wait, almost all of our software is, in fact, the reused components. If we have no idea what's in them, we have no idea what the risks are that we're handling or we're taking in. We don't know, for example, if they ha we have vulnerable components within our systems. Um, and so I think both, uh, I think many large organizations are starting to get a lot more serious about that. I'll notice the, in the U.S., for example, uh, the U.S. Uh, White House recently released an executive order on cybersecurity. And one of the key facets of it is the U.S. government is, start, is going to start demanding software bill materials 
to find out what's in the software we're, we're bringing in. Uh, because if those components are known to be vulnerable, are known vulnerable versions, if they're known to be malicious, because oftentimes uh, there's a type, an attack called typo squatting, where you bring in not quite the correct software. It's, it's almost the right name, but it's not the right name. Somebody has created a uh, another package that looks like it, and typically it's got some malicious code in there. Uh, but there's no way for an end user to have any way to check that out. And I think the U.S. government has said, we're tired of it. We're getting um, too many attacks um, from these kinds of problems. And so they want some visibility, just like we already do with food. We already required in uh, many, many countries that the ingredients of a food product be listed when you buy the, um, before you buy the product. And so the same kind of thinking makes sense for software. We're not demanding you give us every line of code, but just tell us the main components that are in there so that we can ask, does it have a vulnerable component that's known to be vulnerable? How do you tackle the next step then? Because it's one thing for you to deliver a list with, this is what I'm telling you is in there. But with looking, looking at food, the example you gave, mm -hmm. even though I get to the supermarket, I get the package and it says blah, 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 I'm not going to go to the pasture somewhere to see if that was indeed the cow that was in the, the, the steak I'm buying here. So is, is it trusting or do you also look at somehow enforcing that, if that's the right word? Well, uh, <coughs> in many ways, that's a, that's a policy question. You know, how do you build, build trust in? Um, yeah, and, and by the way, I, I, my background is technology, but um, I don't believe all problems have to be solved with technology. I think there are great values when you can solve them. But I, I, um, I think a number of people are worried about that when in fact, well, wait a minute, don't you have laws about fraud? Oh yeah, you do. Oh, well, there are laws about fraud. If you, put, if you claim that it's got ingredient X, when you know it has ingredient Y, um, and, and you know, and that might mean material to a purchase. Um, that's actually already fraud. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I don't think we. I, I think that is important longer term, but I don't think we have to fully solve that in order to start getting making some real progress. We already have laws about this. Now, I, I do think um, uh, there is a challenge in terms of creating S bombs and, and and doing a good job of of doing that. Uh, many ecosystems already have S bombs. Actually, if you're if you're building some application with JavaScript uh, or Ruby or Python uh, or Rust, uh, they already have strong ecosystems. They already have package managers that are widely used, standardized formats for expressing dependencies. Developers are used to using them because, in fact, that's how they make the software work. Um, and so we already have ecosystem-specific ones. The problem is when you get bigger, um, you're suddenly no longer in one ecosystem. And so that's where these other formats, which can handle arbitrary ecosystems, become especially important. But I, I think the short answer here is, unless you're worrying about someone being malicious, automate, automate, automate. Um, you know, use the local ecosystem tools where that makes sense. Um, use other tools that can extract that and other data to bring, to work out and automatically determine the the components so that in fact, you don't need, you, know, you, you may need to set up a pipeline once, but that's it. And then you automatically have that. Now, what about people who are malicious? Yeah, that's a different issue. Uh, I think there are ways to check on that, but as I think the first step really is at that point, we're talking fraud. 
And we already have laws about fraud. If you need to actually use technological means to check, um, that's actually not hard if it's all open source. If it's proprietary software, that's much harder because there are legal barriers uh, to certain kinds of investigations um, and, and so on. So I, I don't have a, a, as good a solution for that one. For, for the open source stuff, though, um, the better solution is maximum transparency, making sure that it's all uh, completely visible. In the longer term, I'd love to uh, see more deployments of what's called reproducible builds. We can talk about that, but let's let's see if you want to go that way or talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Just to quickly so, add that for the type of scrapping problem, a lot of the packet managers already have hash values that accompany the software pieces, so that also makes it easier to double check that you have indeed the package that you are expecting to have, if of course you do your due diligence. Right now, you have to be careful here because you, you can have hashes of the typo squatted value to I me. Mean, you know, if yeah, you, you if to, you meant to, diligence, yeah, yeah. If, right. You, if you loaded in f o o o, if foo instead of foo, um, foo has a uh, you know a, 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 an almost correct package name also has a hash. Just checking, oh, it has the hash for that. That's not really enough. You need to check if in fact that's the package you were. Yeah. expecting and supposed to have and you're right some package managers already have some defenses against type of squatting if you're talking about supply chain attacks uh there's a very interesting paper called the uh, backstabbers knife collection uh where they surveyed every supply chain attack they could find in open source software over a, a large number of years and one of the interesting things that they found um is that the majority of the attacks on open source software supply chain attacks are type of squatting attacks. And you know, gee, why would that be? Because it's easy. You don't need to break into something and you don't need to you don't need to be a sophisticated attacker. You just need to copy the code, insert something malicious, and there you have it. Um, yeah, uh, so um, so uh, in uh, the course that we, we offer on how to develop secure software, one of the things you point out is, hey, before you bring in a new dependency, Double check the name. It's not hard to do. Okay, adding a new dependency is usually going to be a, a, usually a big deal because you're then going to have to learn as a developer. If you add a new dependency, that means you're now going to have to learn to use that new thing you added. And so it's usually a non-trivial decision. If we can just get every software developer before they add it. Hey, wait a minute, is that the right one? That eliminates a whole lot of, of uh, the supply chain tax, the, the majority, um, at least from historical data. When you're talking about this, it, there's definitely an aspect of, um, of the developer in this. Like there also seems like there's an aspect for the, you know, the, the, the folks in IT security and like a variety of other roles I could see being interested in this, but like, Who's, who's the focus, do you think, for the open SSF? Who should really be caring about this side of things? Or is it all of the above? Hmm. Um, I, 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 open SSF is a whole bunch of people. I'm not sure I can speak for every individual there. Um, I will say, though, that um, for a lot of the... Um, for a lot of the stuff that the OpenSSF has developed, a lot of the focus has been more on helping software developers. 
either who are trying to release software, they want to do good, you know, we want to help them do a good job. And conversely, on the intake, I'm thinking about bringing in some software component into a larger system. How do I make good risk decisions? You know, is this is, is this a risky or not so risky package for me to bring in? Um, that's not to really to say though that's exclusive. Um, I mean the um, you know the vulnerability disclosures group, although they've uh, you know they they've been writing some guidance focusing on say open source software project maintainers, they're quite um, cognizant of the needs of what's called the security researchers or the finders, uh, because if nobody is reporting any problems, then you don't learn about the problems. So we need to be supportive of those who, for example, um, look for and find uh, vulnerabilities. We certainly need to be supportive of IT uh, if you're thinking in terms of support for the deployed infrastructure, be it you know the networks or computers or cloud or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think everybody in some sense, everybody who has a role to play is of interest uh, but I think a lot of the focus has been more on the developers because in the end, uh, if, if people would write code without the vulnerabilities, we would have a lot fewer vulnerabilities to deal with. But there are reasons that these vulnerabilities exist. And so, you know, instead of blaming the, the person writing the code, that's not really reasonable. We're working on helping them, uh, particularly the maintainers who are deciding what code to be accepted into an open source software project as well in writing usually a, a majority of it. So that's the end of part one of our session on the OpenSSF with David Wheeler. He'll be back for more OpenSSF fun and frivolity uh, in our next episode. But uh, unless there's anything else from you, Jan? Nope, I'm all done. Well, in that case, that is all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell, you can comment, you can do all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback if you are that way inclined to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Always Secure Dave. And my name is, I need to get one of those foundation things, Jan. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.